Well, good evening. My name is Scott. It's an honor for me to get to share with you today from Scripture. And we're going to do something a little bit different than normal. We're going to take a journey. You know, we're at the end of summer break. School starts tomorrow for, for some people and in the next couple of weeks for, for others. And seems fitting, since we're coming to the end of this break, that we would take a little... It, it's a little bit of a planes, trains, and automobiles uh, type of journey. Only we're going to call it uh, feet, horses, and sailing ships. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to follow the Apostle Paul from Jerusalem to Rome. We've been going through the book of Acts, and we've been watching the, the movement of the church from its very inception uh, all the way to we've gotten Paul to Rome or, or to Jerusalem at this point. He's been arrested. We'll, we'll touch on that in just a minute. And now we're, going, we're watching the church continue to expand and grow and and move from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, and we're moving towards the uttermost parts of the world. And so that's what we've been talking about. And so next week, Jesse's going to finish this. And by the way, I would encourage you, if you have not been reading along, I would encourage you this week, if you take four chapters a day, starting tomorrow, four chapters a day, by next Sunday, before we meet, you will have read through the entire book of Acts. And uh, you'll have the context, you'll have the big umbrella, you'll understand where it's all been moving, and I just really encourage you to do that if you haven't, haven't been able to do that. Uh, my hope today in taking this journey with you uh, and with Paul is twofold. I want us to consider, first, God's faithfulness through even the most difficult circumstances to fulfill his purpose is, purposes in us as we journey with him. And then secondly, I want us to be encouraged to remain faithfully consistent and connected to him and fully engaged in the process, regardless of circumstances. And as we do, I believe that will actually birth and continue to move us into truer and truer freedom. Have you ever felt like God has put something on your heart, deep in your heart, called you to something. Maybe it's a change of roles. Maybe it's a change of job, a move to a new location, a new opportunity, a call to ministry. But then it seemed like not only did it take forever, but I'm not looking at you, Stephen. Not only did it take forever, but much of what you experienced along the way seemed like it was against the fulfillment of that call. And even after God confirms it, it seems like things just get worse or more confusing. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I would bet there's a few in here who've experienced something like that. You know, even if you're here today and maybe you haven't had a strong sense of specific call from God towards something, I still believe there's encouragement to see God's faithfulness and, and his call to remain consistent and faithful in our daily lives with Jesus. Now, if you didn't bring a Bible... I would encourage you to use the one, one in the pews. There are pew Bibles in front of you. You can use your, your uh, cell phones as well if you want. Um, but it's kind of fun, I think, to just turn the pages and see how this develops. So I want to start, actually, in chapter 19 of Acts. I know we've, been be we've gone beyond this the last couple of weeks, but we're going to start in chapter 19. And I want to start by verse, in reading in verse 21. <clears throat> After all this happened... Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. So 
right at the end of two years of powerful ministry in Ephesus, really culminating, it says, in just a couple of verses before, where a bunch of sorcerers got, got all of their scrolls together and burned them, and these scrolls were actually valued at 50,000 days' wages. You know how long? How, that, that's 137 years' worth of wages is what these scrolls were worth. This was powerful ministry from God that was radically changing people's lives to the, to the point that they would sacrifice that much worth of value of scrolls. Anyway, so after this time of ministry, Paul knew it was time to move on. First he wanted to go to Jerusalem, then he wanted to go to Rome. Something in him knew he needed to get to Rome. Maybe God told him. Maybe it was a desire. He just couldn't shake. I think we're going to get a picture here in just a minute. I'm going to read a a verse out of Romans for you. But what we do know is that Rome was the center of the known world. And Paul was always looking for new horizons for taking the good move, uh, the good news of Jesus uh, and his kingdom to those who hadn't heard. Um, Now, there was a problem with Rome, though. Just two chapters ago, or a couple years before, Paul had met a couple named... Priscilla and Aquila. And he met them because they'd been kicked out of Rome. Claudius, Caesar Claudius, had kicked all the Jews out of Rome or tried to kick them all out of Rome. And so there was not a real friendly attitude towards Jewish people, in which Paul was in Rome. And so Paul was, this was a little bit of a risk for Paul to even want to go there. So Paul, after he makes this declaration, There's immediate pushback. First, there's a riot. Right after we read this, there's a riot in Ephesus. Demetrius, who was a silversmith, he stirred up the whole city. And then uh, after they got that quelled and calmed down, then Paul starts to move and there's a plot against his life. We'll see that multiple times. People really didn't like Paul. Uh, But there was a plot against his life. And so he ended up having to turn around and go back a different way. And during this time is when he wrote this letter to the church in Rome that we call Romans. And I want to look at, he gives us a glimpse of what his thinking is. The end of Romans, chapter 15, in verse 23, says, But now that there's no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution to the poor uh, among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. And then, and then he goes on. So Paul, we get a little glimpse here. So yeah, he wants to go to Rome, but he really wants to use Rome as a springboard to get to Spain. He was obsessed about getting the gospel anywhere that it hadn't been yet. So, by the way, you guys realize Romans is a missionary support letter? In addition to all of the other good stuff it has in it, he's trying to raise funds from Rome and to use them to get, not use them, but to invite them into partnership to send him on his way. All right, so that's one of the things he's thinking about. So he presses to Jerusalem, meeting with churches along the way, including the Ephesian church leaders. And Jesse talked about that, or we talked about that two weeks ago. After two warnings from the Holy Spirit as he went through Tyre and came down through Caesarea, two warnings, he gets to Jerusalem, and guess what? He gets arrested. Exactly what had been prophesied about about him by Agabus. And you can read that. Jesse talked about that last week. 
Paul gets thrown into the legal system. And this begins a series of defenses to a variety of people. Such a great lesson for us on sharing our own journey, our own faith stories, as we are encountering people in different contexts and situations. Paul just lays out these beautiful gospel presentations, and each one very unique. So I would encourage you to look that up later. So we move on, and up to this point in the journey, we don't really know, well, is it God's desire to get Paul to Rome? Or is it just Paul's desire because he wants to go to Spain? Well, it might have just been a pipe dream, but dream. But soon after Paul's sermon on the stairs that we talked about last week, he met with a, relig- a group of religious leaders and some Sadducees and some Fer- uh, Pharisees. And one group believed in the resurrection. The other group did not. And so he gets taken before these people, and he's on trial there. And Paul, being the, the brilliant uh, the brilliant communicator of the what has decided to poke the bear. And so he poked the bear and says, I'm on trial here because, and then he brought up the whole concept, idea of the resurrection. Okay, Everybody gets mad. They get in a big fight. They almost tear Paul apart. And so the, the commander takes Paul and takes him back and says, look, we got to get you out of here. This is too dangerous. This is over my pay grade. I'm going to send you to, uh, I'm going to send you to Caesarea. And so soon after Paul, so the first time, oh, so right after that, though, if you look at 23, verse 11, this is right after he poked the bear and almost got torn apart. It says, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage as you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify about me in Rome. This is the first time we see for certain that God was in this. God's purpose matched Paul's desire. This was God's heart and Paul's desire connected together. Well, that settles it, right? God's in this, and so it should be smooth sailing from here, right? If God puts something in your heart, he confirms it, we shouldn't have any issues. We should just move right into God's calling. Well, not quite. Um, The next day, Paul's nephew finds out about another plot to kill Paul. So the commander says, all right, we're going to send you. And so God uses this Roman centurion and Paul's citizenship as a Roman citizen to save his life and to actually provide for his needs. Look what happens. In order to protect Paul's life, the commander had him taken by horseback, had a ton of soldiers around him. Now, I'm just giving you white caps. You've got to go read this this week for yourself, okay? I'm just telling you the story you got to read it for yourself. He gathers this big military complement around, around Paul, puts him on horseback, and sends him off to Caesarea to, uh, be guard, to share with Felix, who was the governor of the area. And that's where he made his first defense and proclamation of the gospel to a Roman governor. After hearing Paul's accusers and the defense, Felix pushed off this verdict, but, but he kept meeting with Paul, Because he was curious, and he was hoping for a bribe. He wanted Paul to offer him money so he he could let him go. But he also gave him freedom. Now, this is interesting. Caesarea is where Paul was at right before he came to Rome. He gave him freedom to meet with his friends and to be cared for. That means he probably met with Philip's family, Agabus, the church in Caesarea. They were able to take care of his needs and continue to support him. So not only did God provide Roman protection for his safety, 
but he also provided a community for him in the midst of his imprisonment. This went on for two years. Two years this went on. Well, what about what Jesus had said? I thought Jesus met with him and said, you're going to Rome. Two years. He was sitting, waiting, not able to do anything, having these little meetings with the Felix and trying, you know, who wanted this bribe. He was wondering, meeting, hoping, waiting. This is ridiculous. Paul had to get to Rome. Have you ever felt like this? Have you ever felt like you've been stuck in a timeout, a perpetual timeout? You know God's put something in you, but you're just stuck. Let's get moving. Well, eventually, Felix was replaced with Festus, and immediately there was another plot to kill Paul. I told you, they did not like him at all. Some. And Paul was done with this. He was a Roman citizen. He had a right. And so he met with, with Festus and, uh, appeal, and said, forget this. I appeal to Caesar. I want to go to Rome. As risky as it is, he appealed to Caesar. Festus had no other option. At least now, God's purposes can proceed without hindrance. Two years, an undesired appeal to Caesar. He was finally on his way. What could go wrong? Nothing, of course, right? Well, things actually went from bad to worse from the very beginning of the trip. And we're, we're up to chapter 27 now. See how quickly we're doing this? We're, we're up to chapter 27. This is why you have to read this this week. We're up to chapter 27. From the very beginning of the trip, it was clear this voyage was going to be trouble. But they pressed on. And almost immediately, they encountered a hurricane so strong, they simply had to give way and give up to whatever the sea had for them. And in fact, look at verse 27, 20. When neither sun nor stars had appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Now, I think Paul was one of the we. I think he was. I mean, have you ever had God say, you know, this, I or feel like God's saying, I want you to do this, and then you get to such a low point, such a point of discouragement and despair that you think, I, I, maybe I heard wrong. Maybe God changed his mind. Maybe it's not going to go this way. Maybe, I think Paul was one of the we. They just gave up. Well, look what happens right afterwards. After they'd gone a long time, it says, and I think that's after the we when they gave up, a long time. Paul gets up in verse 23 and he says, Last night, you guys, last night an angel of the Lord to whom I belong, which is a really important phrase right there we don't have time to get into, and whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. God's confirmation once again. This time through an angel. You're going to make it. Something to hang on to when everything is dark. Something to hang on to. God showed up and gave him through an angel and gave him something. Well, eventually they made it to land. Finally, they made it to land. Safe at last. Nothing's going to go wrong now. They're on the beach. Paul picks up some firewood to put it on the fire. And what happens? A viper comes out of the fire and grabs on his arm. The people on the island think, oh my goodness, this guy was so guilty. 
He not only, even though he escaped the goddess justice in the sea, he's not escaping the goddess justice through the viper. But he shakes the snake off and nothing happens. And then they say, he's a god. We're fickle, aren't we, as people? It opened an incredible door of opportunity for Paul now to meet Publius and, and to, or to meet the, uh, the leader of the island and actually to bring the kingdom of God through healing and through the gospel to that island. It opened an incredible door. And for three months, after three months of doing kingdom ministry on the island, they finally set out and in a short time they landed at Italy, in Italy and look what it says. It says in verse 28, 14, the, the last sentence in verse 14, it says, and so we came to Rome. Over two years, God had given Paul this passion, this desire. Over two years, and through imprisonment, and through crowds trying to kill him, multiple plots on his life, through shipwreck, through snakebite, through all of this trial after trial after trial, and he makes it to Rome. Oh, and he had to spend two more years in prison in Rome before he got to meet with Caesar. And we're not, we don't know, factually, if he got to Spain or not. Some say he did, some say he didn't. This was a tough season for Paul. He didn't have the luxury of looking at it from our vantage point. We can read through it and we can talk through it in 15 minutes, right? He didn't have the luxury of looking at it. He had to live through all of this. We all have to live through the stuff that we're living through. We don't always have the vantage point of seeing it from God's perspective. He had to live through each day, each doubt, each difficulty, facing each accusation, each trial, two years of waiting, facing certain death, and through all of it, all he could do was trust in God's faithfulness. We sang about earlier. All he could do is trust in God's faithfulness. He had to live with the confidence that, as he was, or that he was held in the firm grip of his loving father, whatever the circumstances were going on around him. And something else happened. Paul, because he had this confidence, he didn't just sit by and give up and wait passively. He had this confidence in God's supreme faithfulness to the degree that he could remain consistent, engaged, even as time dragged on and on. He remained faithful every time he met with Festus, every time he met with Felix, every time he was in, in the presence of the commanders, every time, every time on the ship you see him. He's consistent with who he is and with his confidence in who God is and in the message that God given, had given him, he was free to live without compromise because he was anchored in the faithfulness of God. He was free to love his enemies. They weren't his enemies. See, we don't have any enemies, even if they think they are. He didn't have any enemies. They were just people, broken people, free to pray for them, free to know the life, free to help rescue those who were, trying to, who wanted, were taking him to, to prison. Free to those who wanted to kill him. There were Roman guards who wanted to kill him on the ship. And yet he saved their lives because the angel of the Lord said they were all going to be rescued. And I think this is our, and free to trust God for the final outcomes. And I think that's our invitation. 
I think the invitation for us is that we live with such a confidence in God's faithfulness that regardless of circumstance, timing, difficulty, we live consistently and freely through every circumstance, even the waiting. So I guess I just want to ask as we end, are you in rough seas right now? Are you in hard circumstances? I'm not going to take a show of hands, but I would bet there's at least in a crowd this size, there may be two. Are you wondering about God's call? Lord, you said this, but it doesn't look like it. You're waiting. Maybe you've given up hope. Maybe you feel like really all is lost. Uncertain. I want to encourage you two things. One, trust in God's faithfulness. Trust in God's faithfulness. And the second thing I want to encourage you with is, you know, God provided community for him. Luke traveled with him the whole way. Luke's writing all this. And he kept saying, we, we, we. You have community. You have community here. You have people who can pray with you and walk with you and who will and want to. And so I would encourage you that during communion, not only is this a great picture of God's faithfulness, the truth of God's faithfulness, but during that time, if you need prayer, please take advantage of it. I'll go back. I know there's going to be a couple people back there. I'll hang out back there as well. And would love just to pray for you. In fact, let me just pray right now. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Regardless of circumstance, regardless of enemy, regardless of natural causes, regardless of all things, you are faithful. We trust in you and we trust in your purposes. And I do ask that those here who are, who are in shipwreck and those who are, feel like they've been bitten and those who are in waiting, Lord, that you would minister to them as the God of all comfort and that you would surround them with not only your love, but in this community. We trust you and we love you. Thank you. Amen.